Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. LiquidChurch.com, living water for a thirsty world. Hello to Australia. Hey, awesome. Good to have you guys with us. Phenomenal. Uh, I'm Pastor Tim. I do want to welcome you to our current series, which we're calling Reasons to Believe, Finding Faith in the Story of God. It's a series in which we're asking the question, really, um, why believe uh, Christianity as a faith system, as a comprehensive worldview, is really suspect for a lot of people. We live in a cynical age, and there are lots of skeptics out there, people who doubt, who have a lot of problems. You know, if God is good, why is there suffering in the world? And, and if you are a skeptic, welcome. We're glad you're here. We're not here to strong arm you, but, but we're in conversation together. And there are also, though, a lot of uh, Christians who really uh, believe in the Bible and Jesus, but may not be able to answer the why questions, you know. Why are we here? Um, why is there pain and suffering in the world? Where did we come from? Um, you know, what's so special about this faith compared to other religions? Why, why Jesus? And um, we all carry around hurts and wounds and questions that cause us to doubt. Uh, doubt that there is a creator, a wise and benevolent creator um, out there in the heavens. A God so big as actually to create all that we see, all that we don't see, and yet so personal that he knows us by name. It's like, re- really? Um, and you can take all kinds of routes to explore evidence for him. But last week we looked at the relationship between science and faith and what the universe is telling us about God. Uh, and we discovered an incredible thing, really, a, a worldview that is offered by, by this story, the story of God that begins with these words, in the beginning, God. Four powerful words in Genesis 1-1. If you want to turn there, it's on page one. And um, really, it marked the birth of a new worldview when they were written 4,000 years ago, most likely by Moses. Creation is the doing of one God. His idea, his handiwork, and all of life is sustained through his love and care. Um, and I mentioned that Moses, he wrote the first five books of the Bible. They're called the Pentateuch. Let's say it together. Pentateuch, penta means five. Because you need to understand something uh, about the Middle Eastern context that, that, that Moses was writing. And Moses was writing like 1415, 1410 B.C. And, uh, and the burning question that he wanted to answer once and for all with Genesis 1 was, who created the universe? Not how was it created? Although we are given some hints of that. But his focus is on a person, not a process. And here's why. Um, this is very different to us. We're modern people, 21st century. But in Moses' day, no pagan would be so irreverent to suggest that creation evolved by chance. That, atheism wasn't even an option. Atheism is actually kind of a fairly modern development. But Moses' contemporaries, they were mostly pantheists and animists, which means they saw God in every aspect of, of, of creation. Creation itself was God. Uh, the universe was alive and jam-packed with like these colorful deities. So every rock, every tree, every river, every mountain was considered to have its own like personality and power and will. So nature was not an it to the ancient people, but a collection of live beings with whom they had to relate. So if a man got hit by lightning... The only conclusion was that he had somehow offended the storm god, you know? Today we say, well, you know, he must root for the Mets. But, but they, they believe that, no, 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 that you offended someone. So they were amulets and talismans, you know, to try to like kind of influence or control these gods who they had to deal with. There was not one transcendent god over and above and guiding all of creation. That's kind of the pagan impulse to, to deify nature. Uh, they believe everything in nature is God. You see the resurgence of that kind of in, in religions like Wicca or, or strands of New Age belief. But Moses wrote Genesis 1 as an apologetic against the pagan worldview. And his, his contemporaries would have understood this. Because he was making an unprecedented claim 
There is no sun God to be controlled. Rather, there is a singular God who created and controls the sun itself. And that's the point of this text. In the beginning, God created. Genesis 1 lays the groundwork for monotheism. Mono, one God, pointing out the singular author behind the heart of our universe. But that really kind of raises a question for us because um, it's like, that's fine if there's, there's one God and you may believe that, you may not be specific about it. It's kind of the idea, yeah, there's something bigger. Um, that's basic theism, okay? But what exactly is this God like? What, what is his essence? What is distinctive about the Christian God? And that answer really appears here on the final day of creation. Uh, in verse 26, if you take a look at that, when God creates the pinnacle of his handiwork, you and me, it says, then God said, let us make man in what? Our image, circle us in our, in our likeness. And this, you realize now all of a sudden something is strange. Because if the Bible's talking about one God, what's with the us and the our? He's like, you know, kind of talking third, as if there's a, more than a singular God at work here. Plural pronoun, us, plural possessive, our. It's like he's talking among himself. And if, if you circle that sentence, because this is really where the story of Christianity draws its uniqueness among all other world religions. Because what we're introduced to here is perhaps the most foundational and distinctive doctrine of the Christian faith, and that is the doctrine of the Trinity. Now, how many of you have heard uh, that term before, Trinity? You've, you, you've heard that, you've watched The Matrix. You're like, yeah, character in the movie, right? The, the Trinity is really the most distinctive of, of beliefs of Christianity among world religions. Why? Because it says that at the heart of all reality is this one God who exists as what? Three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they're each fully and equally God. Now, you aren't going to want to guess. Can anyone tell me where the word Trinity appears in the Bible? Anyone know? Nowhere. Nowhere. You will never find it in the Bible. But Trinity, you see, tri refers to three. And the idea here is that God is one being, but he exists in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And, And this is what, when we draw back the curtain of eternity... The Christian God is in community, which means one thing. He is above all other world religions, relational. Because he's been relating to, to, in this circle dance of love, which we're going to get to in a minute. It's an amazing thing. But it's like, well, where do you get this from? Most people, when they think of creation, you think of like the father. Well, the father of creation. But I want you to look at verse 2 of Genesis 1 here. Would you look at that? It says, at the outset of creation, you will see another person at work. Moses writes this. Now the earth was formless and empty. It says, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God, the pneuma of God, was hovering over the waters. It's such a rich poetic image, this idea of the Spirit hovering over the waters. Um, you might recall an image that you see sometimes down the shore. If you go down like, like, like to, uh, you see, you ever see, go down the beach in the summer and you see like a seagull kind of drifting over the ocean. You go down the Jersey Shore to like seaside, no, let's not say seaside, let's go Cape, Cape May. Uh, you know, that's, uh, you know, kind of hovering over there. And that idea of the watery deep was kind of an ancient image of chaos. They call it the tohu wabahu. And the Spirit of God hovering over this dark, chaotic scene. God the Spirit. God the Father, God the Spirit. And so you see two members of the Trinity right here in the opening verse of Genesis. In the beginning, God. Now, when Scripture talks about God here in the Old Testament, that's a stand-in for Yahweh or God the Father. And the second here is the Holy Spirit. This is Him doing the hovering. And make no mistake, the Holy Spirit is a person. A lot of people are like, well, uh, first of all, the Holy Spirit is probably the most misunderstood member of the Trinity because most people are like, well, I don't really get Him. He's kind of like my crazy uncle. No one really knows what He does. 
Uh, you know, or they think he's an impersonal force. It's kind of like Star Wars where like, use the force. Like he's this kind of like this force to be summoned. And it's not true. The Holy Spirit is a person. Later on in scripture, you'll hear it says you can actually grieve the Holy Spirit. In other words, you can't grieve electricity. He has feelings and there, there's, we relate to God and he relates to us and there are actually feelings in this relationship. But this is the foundation of the Trinity. Most folks think God the Father is like, just sits up there all alone and is in, in, in charge of creation. But you'll notice here, the Holy Spirit is involved too. Now, the question is, well, what about the Son? What about Jesus? I guess it's like the Father and the Spirit, and then like Jesus shows up in the New Testament or something. I want to show you something cool. There are two places in the Bible that begin with the words, in the beginning, God. One is Genesis. Anyone know where the other is in the Bible? Yes, John 1. Could you turn there with me? Genesis 1 is the beginning of our story. When God breathes us into, into creation. But John 1 is the start of God's story. He's actually, yeah, he has a, a history before we got here. Imagine that. Um, all stories begin with, you know, from little on we learn like, you know, once upon a time, in the beginning, long time ago, galaxy far, far away. That's because they draw their inspiration from the larger story of God we're looking at here. If you look in John chapter 1, just the first two verses, let's read it together. It says, in the beginning, if they're familiar, was the... The Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. That, that, the word there that's translated from the Greek word logos, where we get our logic, it's, it's used here to refer to Jesus, the Son of God, second member of the Trinity. And later on in the series, we're going to discover this, this, where, the, where Jesus visits earth. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Existing in three persons, and one of them is sent down on a rescue mission. So, but we discover something unique here. Moses, in other words, is saying in Genesis, there's one God, and he identifies two people, Father and Spirit. And John says, there's one God, but then he identifies two people. There's Father and Son in loving relationship. In the beginning was the Son, and he was with God. He was right alongside of him, but he, and, he, and, he, and he was God, but he was different from the Father. And, and, and it's like, whoa. How do you get your mind around that? I mean, this, this crunches your brain a little bit. Because you're like, how do you have two separate people and yet they are one being? Uh, the best you can do is make an analogy like a married couple um, who, who are two different people and then they become one flesh. So like, here's Tim, uh, you know, here's Tim, here's Colleen, uh, and then we became Tico. You know, we, we kind of got our lives together. That's like our email, Tico Lucas. And from the beginning of time, once upon an eternity, this father... Son and Holy Spirit in loving, intimate community. Now keep reading because this is where you see it come together. Verse 3, it says, Through him, that is the Son, Jesus Christ, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And this is incredible. Who's identified as the source of all creation? Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And you see something kind of incredible at work here. You've got these three distinct persons, one God. But Christ is the source of all creation. I mean, have you ever thought about Christ actually being the creator of the universe? Most Christians primarily relate to him as like, well, he's our savior, he's our redeemer. But have you ever thought of like, Jesus, create, he's our creator. Because according to John, without him, nothing was made that has been made. It's an amazing thought. I'll tell you who got this, the Apostle Paul. In his letter to the Colossians, he goes on this kind of extended riff as, about Jesus being the source of, of all creation. And beginning in Colossians 1, verse 15, he writes this. Check this out. He says, Christ, the Son, is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, 
visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by Jesus and for Jesus. He's before all things. In other words, he didn't just come to life when he came to earth. He is preexistent. And in Christ, all things hold together. And this is an incredible distinctive, this idea of Jesus being the, the image or the icon of the invisible God. That by him, everything was created. He was before all things. In other words, the Trinity exists before and outside of time. Once upon a eternity. And in Christ, everything holds together. I mean, think about that for a minute, you know. Through the power and authority of Jesus Christ, our entire universe, from the smallest bug to the Milky Way galaxy, which we learned last week is spinning at this incredible 490,000 miles an hour, is upheld and maintained. That Christ is responsible for this. So you see, at the moment of creation, all persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, are active and working in harmony to give birth to this universe. The Spirit hovers. The Father speaks, let there be light, and Christ creates. Now, this is where it's going to bake your potato, because you've got this idea of one God, and, and, and realize Jesus is God. The Son is God, but the problem is the Son is not the same as the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is God as well, but he's not the Father. <laughs> the Father actually is God. Yes, all three are God, and yet they are not the same. And this is where we are birthed out of. The Trinity comes together and gives birth, breathes life, into man and woman. Think about this at the outset of creation. This harmony of heart saying, let us create man in our image. And he reached down and, and breathed the breath of life, our creator, reaching down and breathing life into you and life into me. It's an incredible idea, unique among all world religions. There's no other religion that claims this. As Brent Curtis says in The Sacred Romance, he writes, before any of our smaller stories got started, our complex and kind of overwhelming stories, you have them your own, there was already something wonderful going on. Once upon a time, behind the curtain of the universe were Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the kind of home we've been looking for all our life. And so from the beginning, we know God is a lover at heart from all of eternity. I mean, if someone were to ask you that question, What's God like? What comes to your head? What was your childhood picture of God? If you're like me, I usually thought of him as kind of a single, you know, guy kind of sitting up on a cloud somewhere, maybe, you know, in a throne, kind of looking down, but all by himself, definitely, for sure. Uh, growing up as a boy, I kind of thought of him as Mr. Morgan. You know Mr. Morgan? Of course you didn't. You didn't walk home from school with me. Uh, in fifth grade, I walked home with my buddies, Harry and Eric, and we would pass by this one house that was owned by Mr. Morgan. And he was as ancient as, like, Genesis. And uh, Mr. Morgan he had an old, decrepit house, shutters falling off, and he had a lawn that was permanently yellow. It was like, but it had grass. You know that, like, was it, saw, saws of grass or whatever it is? It's always yellow, even in spring. And he would sit on his porch, even on the cold days, have a blanket, and he'd have a cane, and he'd sit on a lawn chair and just watch us walk by, scowling, never saying a word, ever saying a word. You know, we would straighten up, you know, as we're walking home. But, you know, fifth grade, you're kind of pushing, shoving, you know, that kind of thing. And Harry and Eric are kind of in a fight. And one time, pushed Eric kind of onto his grass. And that's when Mr. Morgan spoke. And he said, get off of my yard. And quite honestly, I grew up in church hearing God is love. But that's what I honestly thought he was like. All alone, kind of sitting up above in private judgment and not really involved in day-to-day -day life. Unless you broke the rules or you crossed the line. And he's just kind of waiting for you to step on his turf. 
And then he's going to kind of judge you and kind of speak to you and kind of, you know, it's kind of, again, that ancient, like, oh, we've offended the gods kind of thing. And it's like, who wants to get caught up in the life of Mr. Morgan? (laughs) I have a personal relationship with Mr. Morgan. No thanks. (laughs) He was lonely. He was joyless. And fortunate for us, it is nothing like the God of Christian belief. This God is one and yet many. He doesn't exist in isolation somewhere up on the throne in the sky, but in the the most joyful, ecstatic, loving community of three persons. And this is distinct from all other religious faiths. Give an example. Some of you are familiar with Eastern thought, like Buddhism, for instance. Um, In Buddhism, for instance, they conceive of God as a very impersonal, he's not personal God, he's an impersonal kind of all soul who kind of hovers over everything and that's fine, but he's not a person. And so really they believe that personality, distinctiveness, that's an illusion. So anything that flows out of it, love is an illusion too. If you love one another, that's really just, you know, chemicals kind of going off in your brain, you're having an out-of-body experience. Because everything, including love, is an illusion. You want to escape the material world. Uh -uh -uh. Uh-uh-uh, that's not what Trinity says. Mormonism. A lot of people think, um, and I have some friends who are great people, good, good Mormon people. A lot of people think Mormonism is just a variation of Christianity, but it's not. Mainly because they deny the reality of the Trinity. Think about this for a minute. Christianity says there is one God and God became a man. The son took on human form, Jesus, to reunite us back to God. Mormonism actually says that there are multiple gods. It's actually polytheistic. And they say that Jesus was a man who eventually became a god. Not God becoming a man, but, but, but man becoming a god. It is literally a complete inversion of the Trinity. And again, I have well-meaning you know, Mormon friends, and they're good people, and they use a similar language, but we're not talking about the same God. The Trinity is decisive. Jehovah's Witness um, acknowledge that the, the Father is a God, but believe Jesus is a created being. There was, there was God the Father, and then he decided to like, give birth to Jesus. So in other words, Jesus is an eternal... He's not equal to the Father. And folks, this is the, one of the huge distinctives of the Orthodox Christian faith. And it makes a huge difference in our day-to-day lives, as you're going to see in a minute, because it can stay esoteric, but we're going to get practical. God is not impersonal. He has three distinct persons, and each are fully and equally God. But there is this harmony of hearts, Father, Spirit, Son, at the heart of the universe. And I know this is tough to get a, your mind around, because it's like, I don't, I don't quite get the math. Let me get this straight. One plus one plus one equals one. (laughs) Um, St. Augustine said, if you deny the Trinity, you'll lose your soul. If you try to explain the Trinity, you'll lose your mind. (laughs) And so a lot of modern minds try to give examples of it and compare it to things and try to help. And and so some people will say, well, think of it this way. Uh, The Trinity, God is like like an egg. I mean, isn't that a powerful thing? It's like, and I got these brown eggs. Uh, I didn't have a white eggs. How does, uh, organic, you know, how does... How is this better for you? It's brown, you know? But God is like, the Trinity is like an egg. There are three parts to an egg. You've got the shell, you've got the what? The white, and the, what's that yellow part called? The yolk, right? Now, if you took the yolk away, what would you have? Well, it wouldn't, it would no longer be an egg. Take away, you know, the white part, and, and you've just got, you know, sunny side up. Take away the shell, and you've got, what do you got? You got a mess. <laughs> really nothing else beyond that. That's what God's like. Wow, inspiring. Not so much. Uh, when I was growing up, I heard uh, one guy said, God is like a flashlight. Uh, battery, uh, a bulb, and beam. You know, it's like the Father's the battery, and, and, and Jesus is the bulb, he's the light, and then it's kind of like the beam, you can't touch it. That's like the Holy Spirit. Um, 
okay, sort of helpful, really warms your heart as you can imagine. Doesn't quite take your breath away, does it? Misses the relationship part. And that's a problem, honestly, with a lot of modern kind of evangelicalism. It reads like a, you know, a 1040 IRS form. It's like all the facts are there, but it doesn't really stir your soul. See, the story of God begins not with God alone, so Mr. Morgan, or not with an egg, but God in this debt, the throes of celebratory relationship, intimacy beyond our wildest imagination. God not only exists, he has always existed in this community of celebration, of interaction and relationship on the biggest scale you can imagine. There's a great image here. I want to recover this to explain Trinitarian love of how, we, of how you can think of the epic intimacy that's God's reality. Take you back, ancient, 7th century, John of Damascus. He was a Greek theologian, and he described the relationship of the persons of the Trinity as perichoresis. Kind of a cool word. Can we say it together? Perichoresis. And it is made up of two words there. You see peri, like, like a circle. It's where you get like perimeter going around and around peri. And then caresses, that's where we get the word choreography, which as you can probably guess what that means. It means that it means dancing. And the term the early church thought of God, they, they said he's like perichoresis. It literally means to dance or flow around. What they were saying is that in our first glimpse, in the beginning, John 1, into the life of God, when we peek into his window are the members of the Trinity, God in a circle dance of love. Physicists would say at the heart of the universe is a mathematical equation. Um, Some people would say at the heart of the universe is nothing. Christianity says at the heart of the universe is this harmony of hearts that is so ecstatic and defined, it's literally defined by love, relating and celebrating. It is like a Greek dance. Who's ever been to a Greek wedding? Some of you know what I'm talking about. You ever seen a circle dance? Uh, kind of fun to watch. Uh, the people usually, it can't be too, it's not like hand on your hip, you know, kind of thing like this. You actually grab, grab hands with others and you dance around and around in a circle. Opa, opa, kind of thing. And, and really what they're saying is this joy, the celebration. Perichoresis is a Greek word. It's a Greek concept. So let me take you to a big fat Greek wedding to show you exactly what it looks like. Take a look at this. This is kind of a neat thing here. But you've got to kind of see this, this is a neat moment. Watch the expression on the faces. You have to step over Joey Fatone, I know. You're upset. Yes, we are. Sometimes I'm afraid that it didn't happen. I'm scared that I'll wake up and still be buttering garlic bread, waiting for my life to start. But it did happen. It did. And I figured out some stuff. My family is big and loud, but they're my family. We fight and we laugh, and yes, we roast lamb on a spit in the front yard. And wherever I go, whatever I do, they will always be there. In the beginning, spinning and swirling and dancing, a collection of hearts rejoicing in one another, God. That does not do it justice 
I know, there's like Joey Fatone from 98 Degrees. What, what is that? What is that guy? He's not God. I'm not comparing here. But the circle dance of God, the perichoresis, it is in no other religion talks about this idea that God exists in ecstatic joy. Like you may not feel happy today, but God is the happiest person ever. Because he's with all people he likes, all people who serve and love one another. Opa, moving around and around. God in relationship, perichoresis. Behind all of creation, God, in this ecstatic celebration dance of love. Delighting in one another. I mean, that's incredible. And when you start looking at the words of Jesus in the New Testament, as we're going to see. Father, you're going to see this in your life groups this week when you look at Jesus' baptism. Jesus is baptized and he says, not my will be done, but yours be done. Who's he talking to? The Father. And the Father says to Jesus, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And you saw what's coming out of heaven the Holy Spirit symbolizing a dove and, and this idea of divine pleasure. And they want to invite other people into it. It is an incredible picture of the inner life of God. Think of your best human relationships. People who are like, oh my gosh, we connect. We are like, hey, we are like this. I mean, think about that. There, there, is, there are no buried issues of like control in the Trinity like the Holy Spirit saying, like, I want more time, you know, with the Father. There's no pride. There's no power. There's no jealousies. Like, why does Jesus always get all the press, you know? There's per- it's perfect love. And this is what you glimpse. In the beginning, when the curtain is drawn back in John 1, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is so different than atheism, which would say there is nothing out there in space. In the 70s, a Russian cosmonaut returned from space, and he proudly reported, he said, no, nope, I didn't see him. There is no God out there. <laughs> Or evolutionary naturalism, which would say, actually, all of this is an accident. If you see beauty in the world, it's an accident. You're an accident. Everything happened by chance. Universe is just expanding, but it signifies nothing. Christianity says, no. Everything you see that awakens your heart, beauty, love, joy, relationship, this is a reflection, however dim, of what is behind the universe and what you are destined for. Paracaresis, and out of this, creation is birthed. Everything you see was born out of this. There's a Christian mystic who uh, said, we were born from the laughter of the Trinity. It's supposed to be an image of breathtaking beauty. Intimacy in its purest forms, and this is God's reality. And this is where his story begins with this harmony of hearts spiraling in love. It's like, well, who wouldn't want to be part of that? I don't like dancing, but man, sometimes, you know, at a wedding, all right, okay. And we get taste and small glimmers of it in our world. Um, you know, we, we, we do. Um, maybe you've been struck by them. Think of, what, think of when you're struck by something like beauty in the world, in art or in music, when you, when, you, when you hear a piece of classical music and it just sounds right. And like, yes, there's a rightness to that. Beauty, Trinitarian beauty. Love, connection. Oh, my gosh, Anthony and I relate. We're just like, that'd be weird. Okay. This, <laughs> Colleen and I relate. We're, we're, we're really connected. Um, think about beauty one afternoon in, in nature, okay, in the fields behind my house. I came over the hill with my dog, Percy, who kind of go running back there. It was, just, it was at, you know, 5, 6 o'clock, the golden hour of the day where the sun is, like, setting. And it's just like an electric pink kind of sky. And it just sets kind of the trees on fire. And, um, and we came to this lake, just kind of in the horse fields behind our house. And it was like this golden glass across this lake. And, and we're standing there. I'm like, wow, this, this is beautiful. And all of a sudden, over the hills comes this formation of geese. And they're not flapping. They're not honking. You know, they're not doing their thing. They're just gliding. And they literally, person I was standing there, were like, oh, my, it's coming, to, it's coming towards, wow, they're going to land here. And they come and literally skim and glide. <sighs> Oblivious to me and Percy, on this, at this golden hour of the moment, and, and it was the most, it was, I felt like I was, I was witnessing something sacred. Epic beauty that exists 
outside of time for no one in particular. This goes on all the time without people even witnessing it. You know what my immediate impulse was to do? I ran back to my apartment. Colleen and I were dating at the time. And I said, Kyle, come here. You've got, you got to see this. Of course, we returned and it was gone. But I wanted her to come and share this incredible moment with me. See, love is invitational, Trinitarian love. It naturally wants to invite others in to share life. And, and I, I wound up marrying that girl. Marriage is another one of the tastes of Trinitarian life. Two, becoming one flesh, right? Jesus said, this is going to represent kind of how I feel about you. And, and it comes out of Trinity, I feel like the Father. And, 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 and they surround, they actually surrender at a wedding. I mean, this is at a, at a wedding, you, you see, even cynics will, will cry, even if they're very jaded at times. Because they see something here and they want to believe this is true. That someone would surrender their identity and say, we're going to form a new identity together. I'm going to serve you and I'm going to love you. And my life is about you and I'm going to revolve it around you. You know where one of the worst places is to be an atheist? On your honeymoon. Because here you are, let's say you're in Maui, you are surrounded by epic beauty, you are drinking in love with this, this, this other person, and you've got no one to thank. You have to say, oh my gosh, I am so glad we are together. Thank you, blind chance. Uh, this is amazing. Thank you. Uh, you know, just biological synapses just kind of going off in my brain. Make us feel this way for the moment. Um, what? Honey, look at the sunset. Oh, praise you, uh, random luck. Amazing. Beauty and love. Whatever takes your breath away in this world, trace its source to the Trinity. And when a relationship does make this, I mean, when a man and a woman enter that dance, think about this. When, it, when one of those relationships makes it, they enter that dance, a man and a woman, they experience love and beauty. What's their natural next step? What typically happens? Yeah, creation, Ch children, to give birth to offspring made in their image. Why? To share the joy of life with. Trinitarian love and beauty begets community. It invites others in. And that's literally what happens here with God. Since all of creation, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this loving, beautiful community that says, we got to share this with others. Let us make man in what? Our image. In our likeness, in other words, let us create children with the capacity to experience the same, the same love and beauty at the deepest places with us and with one another. In other words, let's ask them to what? Join the dance. Come on up. True Trinitarian love naturally invites others in. That, that's what my first impulse was with Colleen. <laughs> I found this woman I, I loved. I want to share the beauty of this life with her. I said, may I, may I have this dance? And it's, it's the nature of two become one. They want to expand their borders. That's why you feel that, that desire to have children if you're a married, married couple at times, you know? It's the impulse of the Trinity to invite other life into the, the larger life. Do you see this? By the way, this is true whether you're married or single. Everything we long for in this life that touches and speaks to your heart, love, beauty, art, community, we long because you were made for it in the image of the Trinity. Perichoresis. This is where you come from. This is the, the family, the home your heart is hungry for. And this is the life that Jesus came to restore and reconnect us to in the New Testament. This is what it means to be made in the image of God. If you want to go ahead and circle that word image there in Genesis, you notice it's an echo of what's in, first Col in Colossians 1. Jesus is the image of the, uh, of the invisible God. The Greek word for image, you write this down, is icon. Let's say it together. Icon. It's where we get our word 
Icon. Yeah, wow. <laughs> you know a lot of Greek there. Um, you know what an icon is? You know what this is? Think of your computer. It's that small picture. It's usually on your desktop. And, it, and what does it do? It represents or points to another file or program. And so what the Bible's saying is that you and I, human beings, men and women, are icons. Smaller people who somehow represent or reflect the essential nature of the Trinity when we are functioning properly. Now, now I understand. Sin and and brokenness, that corrupts, it distorts the image, the file gets all all sorts of screwed up. We're going to get into that next week. What does it deal with the brokenness if if this is all so grand? What does it mean to be an icon of the Trinity? To the Christian who enters into the perichoresis or circle dance, it means many things, but certainly it means that your life is anchored really in three things. Love, community, and truth. I'm going to touch on each one real quick because a lot of people say, people go without in the street. You'll see some man on the street interviews we've been doing. It's kind of funny. Um, they say, well, yeah, God is love. And what they really mean is that in a fuzzy, sentimental way. In other words, they mean like, well, love is really important or like, I think God really wants us to love. But in the Trinitarian concept, God has love as his essence. In John's gospel, Jesus says the spirit lives to glorify him. This is an important word. You see it, all, it sounds like a churchy word. The the son seeks to glorify the father, and the father glorifies the son, and that this has been going on for all eternity. Now, what does that term glorify mean? We sing it. We don't really know, though. To glorify something means you not only praise it, but you enjoy and delight in them just for who they are. Not what they can do for you, but just being with Terry, I glorify him. It's amazing. I'm changed when I come back from being with Terry. I know. Don't get jealous here, okay? It's not going to be weird. To glorify someone or something means you actually don't just just love being with them. You actually defer and want to serve them. In other words, you don't use them. There's no competition. There's no jealousies. In in fact, you say, this is so important to me, this relationship. I want to sacrifice my interest to make them happy. Not, can I get you to kind of do my thing? (laughs) Why? Because your ultimate joy is to see them full of joy. Any parent knows this. It's why you take your kids to Disney World. Why? Because you get off on the magic kingdom? No, because expression you see on their face when they see the haunted house. You're like, ah, yes, that's your joy. So what's it mean to Father, Son, Holy Spirit glorify one another? In other words, they literally, think of the planets. It's like they orbit around each other, enveloping, rejoicing, serving. Father and Son, I am well pleased with you, my son. No, Father, not my will, your be done. You know, no, no, the soul of the Spirit says, no, send me, Jesus. Let me indwell your, your, your followers so they can be caught up into this life. None of the members of the Trinity demand that the others revolve around them. Each voluntarily circles the other two. And that's where the early leaders of the Greek church got this term, perichoresis. It's like this dance, spinning and pulsating. Now, I want you to think about that. What is the opposite of dancing? Yeah, standing still, right? That's, this is what I typically do at weddings, okay? I don't really like it. I usually get a camera and pretend I'm doing other stuff over here. But I don't want to dance. I don't love that kind of stuff. <laughs> Same thing in the life of Trinitarian love. In other words, make, when you stand still, it means everything has to revolve around you. I'm not moving. You revolve around my needs and my insecurities and my uncomfortableness. In, in self-centeredness, we demand that others orbit around us. I, I'm reading a fantastic book, highly recommend it to you. It's by Tim Keller, Redeemer Presbyterian Church. It just came out. It's called The Reason for God, um, Belief in an Age of Skepticism. And he says, Ultimate reality is a community of persons who know and love one another. 
This is what the universe, God, history, and life is all about. If you favor money, power, and accomplishment over human relationships, you will dash yourself on the rocks of reality. This is what we make life about, but we're we're saying the reason it's not fulfilling is because you are missing your design. When Jesus said you must lose yourself in service to find yourself, he was simply recounting what the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been doing throughout eternity. You will never then get a sense of self by standing still and making everything revolve around your needs and interests, and yet this is what we believe life is about. If I can get other people to kind of meet my needs, if I can kind of get them to, to help me feel better about who I am and, and, and get their, my identity from what I do and all of that, and yet we settle for imposter love, not Trinitarian love. This, by the way, now this is very practical because some of you are like, okay, kind of got it, but it's esoteric. For instance, let's say you are sleeping around. Let's say you, a lot of people live, live together, right? I mean, now 66% now of adults under the age of 30 before they get married will live together. That's just a fact. It's just kind of like, and most people are like, well, it's very practical. You've got to see if it works. You've got to, you know, you don't buy shoes without trying it on, all that kind of thing. This would be, for instance, an example of non-Trinitarian love. It's not just like sin. Well, God says don't do that. It, it's stagnant. It cannot go anywhere. Why? Because you are making it all about you. You say relationships, basically, are about meeting my needs. And if it's not meeting my needs, bye-bye. You hook up with someone because you want to use them to kind of as a means to an end. It's not outward focused. You want to sit and have them actually kind of dance around you. And the idea is, is, it, is it tears at the fabric of the universe who God designed you to be and how you're supposed to bear his image. You are made for Trinitarian love, other-directed, self-giving, love that actually is serves, is faithful, never exploits, never manipulates, never fails. Trinitarian life is loving. And that's the kind of love everyone's looking for. It's in very short supply. But by coming to this earth to die for our sins, Jesus shows us literally what true love really looks like up close. When the second member of the Trinity descends, he's saying, I have come to restore you to a new kind of life. It's true. It's possible. You don't have to live this way. And what happens is that kind of Trinitarian life gives rise to authentic community then. One of the reasons we tend to exploit love uh, in this life or settle for distorted versions of it is because so many of us are so lonely. If nothing else, the Trinity tells us that loneliness is not what God intends for you. Think about this. The Trinity surveys creation. Everything it's made, it is good, it is good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then it sees man, Adam, all alone. And what does it say? It is not good for the man to what? Be alone. He doesn't reflect us because he's not in community. You were created. This is why you hunger for relationships, for connection, deep relational intimacy, togetherness. It is one of the ways you reflect or bear God's image. God has, think about this. God has never ever, ever been lonely. I mean, far from from being an old man sitting on the lawn chair in the heavens, he's been dancing for eternity with people who he actually blurs the distinction because the love between them is so pure. He has enjoyed the highest levels of joy before all of creation. A lot of people say, well, God created people. Why? Because he needed company. He didn't need company. (laughs) The Trinity doesn't need us. But rather, when there is such true, authentic community, it invites others in. 
Because it wants to connect and expand its borders. So real practical speaking, for instance. This is, this, is by, this is why we do life groups, by the way. We don't just do these small groups during the week because we're like, they probably need something to do at night, you know? So they should just, you know, go have dinner. So that's not why we do it. At Liquid, life groups are literally the Trinitarian expression of community. There's, there's small circles of friends who meet during the week to do what? Share life together. Because that's what you were meant for. And if you, if you don't, share life with God. And so, so in the groups we meet, we, we talk about the kind of stuff that we're talking about here. We pray for one another, and we actually share friendship. All the joys, all the pains that come with that. And we're like, you don't have to have it all together to take a step into community. But some of you, many of us, we just think living in the land of not good is normal. It's not, not good for the man to be alone. Well, you know, that's good for him, but I'm a lone ranger. Some of us are isolated. Maybe you attend church services like this, but you remain unknown because you come in and you get a cup of coffee and then peel out to Arby's afterwards. What? Or I don't know where Arby's came from. One of the ways... <laughs> Wendy's. <laughs> One of the ways we function as a Trinitarian church is to make space for small group community. Think about this. Who was the original small group? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Our groups literally just started this week, and we still have several episodes. It's not too late, but the Trinity tells us you are created for community to know and be known by others. And I know that's risky, but it is worth it. Because this Trinitarian community is different. Some of you are like, oh, I've been hurt before. I've been in that kind of thing. I don't like it. I get close to people. They hurt me. Instead of being closed or clicky, Trinitarian community is different. Because of not being distant or a source of distrust, a Trinitarian life is grounded in truth. What's it say in Genesis 2.25? The man and the woman were both naked, and what happens? They felt no shame. Now, I want you to think about this. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have no secrets from one another. There's no, like, duplicity. There's no shame. There's no, like, jealousies or competition. There is complete openness and honesty. I know this is hard to believe, but you were designed to experience that kind of life with others. Total transparency. The Trinity creates you and I, and what scriptures say? They, were bo- they brought them together, they were both naked, and they felt no shame. But I want you, this is hard to conceive of, but I want you to imagine a world without fig leaves. Can you imagine it? It's hard, right? Do you have relationships with other human beings that, that are like totally devoid of like, you know, don't look too close at my cracks or my flaws, no suspicions, no hurts. There's nothing to hide. You have no static. You can be completely open and and vulnerable because you know you'll be loved and accepted no matter what. There are no fig leaves in the Trinity. That was our invention later on. We're going to talk about this next week. But some of you, some of you are fortunate to have tasted that in the best of relationships. I have a couple of friends um, like that who I can just be completely honest with, not Sunday, you know, morning Tim and teaching all that kind of stuff, but just, I can just tell them who I am because I know they won't judge me. In your life groups this week, we're going to ask you to take a risk and actually share openly about yourself. No, no, no fig leaves. And actually, w- would you let others see the real you, even if you don't have it all together? And you're going to be in very good company because none of us have it figured out either. But I understand, this is difficult for all of us. We are not perfect dance partners. Three weeks before our wedding, Colleen made me go take dance lessons with her. I almost shattered her foot. We... St- when we get together, because we are not the Trinity, we're reflections of it, we step on each other's toes. That is the nature of it. This is why we're like, I don't think I'm going to dance. We hurt and wound one another. One another reason is why the Father sends the Son to teach us what Trinitarian forgiveness is. But folks, when we live 
without fig leaves in church, which is the the Trinitarian community, transparently we get a taste of Trinitarian life. In this life, we get tastes of divine things. Love, community, truth, transparency. And as Christians, we're supposed to grow in each aspect as, as we reflect the icon or the image of our creator. Think about that. What it means is you live through the Son. Jesus reconnects you to this life. By the Spirit, he, give, he fills you because you're going to need the, the strength and actually the courage to, kind of, to try it to the glory of God. Actually, our life starts revolving around what God wants and serving Him and serving other people, not using them. And we begin living differently in the dance, in love, in community, in truth. That's who God is, and this is where you come from. It is the heartbeat of the Christian faith. And in a broken world, it has changed thousands of people across thousands of years, and it will continue into eternity. Christianity is not just, let me believe in Jesus so I can get my butt into heaven. Christianity is about life before death that continues on into eternity, into its fruition, and it was what charges life here now with the joy and the beauty your heart longs for and knows to be true. Family secret. In the spirit of transparency, uh, most of you know I get home pretty late on, uh, on Sunday nights. Monday morning I sleep in. Monday's kind of our Sabbath around our house. And, uh, and Colleen, she's a very gracious wife, she, she keeps the kids away until 10 a.m. And then all bets are off. And so I, I'm kind of up usually on 10 a.m. on the second floor. I'm under the covers. And then all of a sudden at 10 a.m., my little girl, who's about, you know, almost six years old, she comes up with her iPod. It's actually Colleen's iPod. And she's got High School Musical on her iPod. Together, uh, forever. Oh, my gosh. Holy purgatory. And she's, she sets that thing in a little Bose Wave radio right outside the door. And she turns it, bang, together, forever. She comes in, dancing in there into the bedroom. I'm like, no, go downstairs. You know? And so what happens is my wife, she's like, oh, Chase, come on, we'll, we'll go dance downstairs. And, and, and so what happens is around 10 a.m., they, they start playing this little dance party. And, you know, and they dance together. And Colleen tries to teach, you know, shows her a little, how, this is how you dance, you know, kind of thing. And I eventually stagger downstairs. Doom, doom, doom. And I stand there on the landing, you know, the landing in just, you know, in just my shorts, because I've got, I've got like a church hangover, you know, and I'm just like, coffee, where's coffee? It's all I want. And before, I start turning to go in the kitchen, and Chase goes, no, no, no! And she grabs my hand and pulls me, you know, down the stairs. And we grab hands, she, I grab one, and, she, and Colleen grabs one, and she's like, come on! And here's what she yells, she goes, spin me! And we, and she, we start spinning around, she puts her head back, and we're like, okay, hold on. And we go around and around, and like, okay, this is great, now I'm going to get coffee. Again, whoa! Around and around. And we dance, we literally go around looking, and this started about four years ago. And at first, I didn't like it. <laughs> um, I don't like to dance, I'm not good at it. <laughs> Monday morning, I want coffee and the paper, and to be alone, okay? But as my two girls, Colleen and, and, and Chase, pulled me in week after week, the dirty secret is, it became such fun, I started looking forward to it. Chase and I actually started making special playlists on iTunes together for Monday morning at 10 a.m. And we're actually putting like a little DJs. And that is literally what we do on Monday mornings in the Lucas house. We dance. We do this at least twice a month. We spin. And I, I hope this isn't too graphic. I'm usually still in my boxer shorts. But if you drove by our house tomorrow morning... Don't drive by our house tomorrow. By the way, that's not an invite. I'm not serious. This is what you would see. 
If you looked at our window, you'd see the four of us, because now my son's out. We want to invite someone else in. We're dancing all over the living room in, in our pajamas and unmentionables. And you know what? It is the highlight of my life. Nothing compares with this. Because I'm with the people I love the most. And we are sharing something beautiful together. We laugh, we snort. Del threw up once we spun him so fast. But we just enjoy the moment together. And it is the best moment of my week, it's guaranteed. And as a parent with two kids who are made in my image, many icons, you'll see if you saw it is amazing to think that this is what God is like. This is how he relates to us. From all eternity, an eternal dance of love, joy, and sheer pleasure. Para what? Caresses. The God who dances, who sings, who delights in his children and invites them to step out onto the floor. Come on, dance with me. Have you entered that dance? Maybe If you're looking for a first step, maybe it is finally... Dancing takes a lot of trust. You have to put your hand in another person's hand, let them lead you. Maybe it is finally putting your trust in the love of this divine family. Your creator, your father, the son, your savior. When Jesus died for your sins, he was, in, as it were, connecting you back to the dance. It's been going on way before you were here. It didn't start with you. It doesn't end with you. But the invitation is here. Will you join the dance, the paracaresis? Maybe that is your step today. You take God's hand, you actually enter the dance and put your trust in Christ for the first time. It's very easy to do. It says, if I, you, you bow your head, you simply say, Father, I believe you are God. Thank you that I am made in your image. Jesus, thank you. You are my Savior. I believe that you came to die and you were raised to new life. I want that new life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want to enter into a new life, a new reality today. In Jesus' name, amen. You enter into that family. May, welcome. Or maybe it's taking a second step into, into community because you weren't meant to dance alone. That is why the church literally exists. It's not to do services because we live in Trinitarian community by design. And you know what? We are not, you know this, we're not a perfect church, but we worship a perfect God and by his grace, we're just trying to live as honestly as we can with one another, reflect his image imperfectly, and be in step with the Spirit. How about coming out onto the dance floor? Maybe joining a life group. Actually, some are meeting, again, like I said, for the first time this week. They're all over the state. We even have now one meeting in Australia because it gives birth. Life gives birth. But get out of isolation and into community. You were made for it. And you know what? Others are waiting. Others are waiting. What are you waiting for? Father, we just right now pray and thank you. We just thank you, God. Thank you for creating us with a purpose, conceived in love and joy and choosing us to bear your image. We thank you, God. We thank you for who you are, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We ask that you would continue your work in each man and woman here made in your image. Draw each one back into your life. Grow our faith. Give us reason to believe in our hearts as well as our heads, Father, and lead us deeper into your community of love this spring. Let's stand together as we say it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.